You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. This is so unlike you, brother. So clandestine. Are you sure you wouldn't rather just punch your way out? If you keep speaking, I just might. Fine, as you wish. I'm not even here. Is this better? It's better company, at least. Still, we could be less conspicuous. Mmm, brother. You look ravishing. It will hurt no less when I kill you in this form. Very well. Perhaps you prefer one of your new companions, given that you seem to like them so much. Oh, this is much better. Whoa. Costume's a bit much. So tight. But the confidence. I can feel the righteousness surging. Hey, want to have a rousing discussion about truth, honor, patriotism? God bless them! Thus saith the herald, welcometh to the 602th Club. I'm I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the 602 Club. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Matthew Rushing. I am the host, uh, as you probably already know. And tonight we are going to be talking about Thoreth, the darketh worldeth, and hence the these and the thous. But um, they don't actually talk like that in Asgard, which is a little disappointing. Uh, so... I needed a crack team to talk about this one, and back with me, we just talked about Iron Fist with Marvel, and so I figured it's, it. well, he's just kind of been sleeping on the cot in the corner. Ruby's not all that happy about it, but uh, Daniel, welcome back. Yeah, so we went from talking about a guy who gets really angry and punches things to a guy who gets really angry and hits things with a hammer, so it's, it's a little yes. different, you know. Yeah, and lightning, and lightning, don't yeah. forget the lightning, yeah. yeah, and he could apparently make it rain. Which is kind of cool. He, he God has of Thunder. very specific control over the weather, it seems like. But uh, we don't get to see that very often, it seems like. I guess maybe... maybe yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah, maybe he's like an understudy of Storm or something. I'm not sure exactly mm. what's going on. Yes, but. yes. I feel like they should. They, they might be at a school together with a bald professor Perhaps. at some point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, maybe she learned his her powers from him, like she learned how to control her powers from Thor. That would Thor. make sense, yeah, all right. Yeah, see, that would be a good story in the comics, right? Hmm, why aren't we writing Marvel comics? You got me. Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm so excited that uh, we've got back with us. Uh, he's been on a cot as well. I mean, it's been, it's like bunk cots uh, here <laughs> in the 602 Club. But Richard, it's good to have you back. Hey, it's good to be back. And I have the top bunk, Daniel. All right. That's okay. That's all right. It's all yours. You know, I I have a feeling this movie might be and lead to less philosophical discussion than the last one that you were on, Richard. Yeah, that generated quite a bit of discussion. (laughs) Yes. I don't know if we're going to get into that with Thor the Underworld, or excuse me, Thor the Dark World. It's all the same, right? right? Um, (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, because... Like Jane goes to the underworld or wherever it is that they hid the, the ether. So uh, anyway, before we dive completely into the movie and get off the rails again, uh, you can find the show on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We are a featured provider there and you'll find everything that we do on Trek FM. Uh, hit us up with a star rating and review. I, you know, I got to say, 
Uh, recently, we have been getting new star ratings and reviews for just the main show here for the 602 Club. And I have to say a huge thank you to everybody who's been doing that. And it, what it means, I think, is just more people have been finding the show. Uh, the, and the more reviews we have, the more likely that is to happen. And so I wanted to give a, a quick thank you uh, to our recent reviewer, Luke S. 155 He said that the show is fresh, fun, and thoughtful and gave us five stars. Uh, and he found the show because he found me on Twitter. So uh, thank you so much for listening, Luke, and for reviewing the show, giving us five stars. It means a lot. And uh, follow his lead. Go do that. And in fact, uh, we're running the uh, promotion right now with the Star Wars a 602 Club collection. That's a special feed that only has our Star Wars episodes. You review that, you could you could win one of two copies of Rogue One on Blu-ray. So go give us a star rating review over there. I'd love to give you a copy of the brand new Star Wars film that just came out for home release. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at TrekFM and Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And then there's the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group. And uh, we're all there, and we're having discussions. We'd love for you to be there, too. If you're on Facebook, you can type Babel into the search field there on Facebook, and that'll bring you to the Babel Conference. Or if you're on our website at trek.fm, any of the show pages will have a discussion link. Just hit that, and it'll bring you there, too. So, Well, guys, uh, we're here at uh, Thor 2, the Thundering, uh, or the Underworld, or something or like that. The, the Dark World is what they call it. And uh, this is a movie that is interesting because... There's actually a lot that kind of happened behind the scenes with this one. You know, a lot of people gone on and on about how DC has had, you know, different directors and then they'll bow out and whatnot. But that's happened to Marvel a few times as well. And Thor 2 is one of those times because we were going to have Patty Jenkins be the director. Uh, as we all know, she went on to is now directed uh, Wonder Woman that's just about to come out for DC. But very interestingly... She left the Thor project kind of for the same reasons that uh, Edgar Wright did with Ant-Man for creative differences. And I, I wanted to ask you guys before we can even dive in, do you think that's because it feels like Marvel is a lot more controlled than what they want in each movie and they kind of hire a director more as a person to implement their vision than the other way around? Yeah, I could see that. Uh, definitely, uh, isn't that kind of the reason why George Lucas also left the Star Trek, uh, Star Wars projects, uh, and basically cut loose and said, "Hey, you guys do whatever you need to do. This is what I ha this is what I had, and you know, I'm not going to be a part of it anymore." I mean, isn't that kind of kind of what happened to him as well? Well, I mean, once he sold it, yeah, that you know, he wasn't going to have ultimate control anymore. Right. So yeah, he he was not going to want to be a part of that, and you know. Any any director, you know, uh, tends to be basically a mini dictator, except for when you're working on like a massive franchise like Marvel, where they seem to kind of rein in pretty tightly what they want for each movie. At least that's what it seems mm -hmm. like, because, um, you know, Edgar Wright kind of left because I feel like they weren't going to allow him to be as zany as he normally would be. Yeah, well, fortunately, Ant-Man turned out better than... Thor 2 here, but... That's uh, very true. That's very true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's certainly the case, I think. Uh, the Marvel has a vision as a whole, as, as a company, as a director that they're going down through, and then they, they kind of pick the directors they think will best suit 
the the project that they're working on, the problem is sometimes the directors also have an idea of what they want to do, uh, and it doesn't always match up. You know, it's just kind of the way that Marvel does it, and I kind of think it's also necessary when you have this tightly of an integrated universe on screen. Otherwise, things can get off the rails and go all sorts of crazy and get weird in places. It's just some directors obviously don't do as well with that kind of creative restrictions placed on them. Mm. Yeah. I think you're, you're, you know, very bright in that sense. You know, it would be hard to be a director and come into something and be told or kind of led in a direction beyond where your creative ability was taking you. I would hope that for most movies, you know, a director is that guiding hand that kind of shapes and forms everything. And it does seem like in some senses that, and I think, let me put it this way. I think that in this movie, it's, it's the, it's the most paint by numbers kind of thing that Marvel had put out to this point uh, when this came out. Uh, And I think you can kind of feel that in the movie that it does feel kind of routine and there's, there's not a lot to make it stand out like thematically or I think even visually or, you know, there, there's just not a lot. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I, I'm wrong. I'm wondering what you guys think. But do you think that that kind of a, a specifically had a impact on what we get in the dark world? Um, you know, whenever I think of Thor, I always think of the dark world. I always forget about the first one and partly because I absolutely did not like it. Uh, Well, I mean, I liked it to the point where it's obviously it's a Thor story, but I mean, the way it was executed and everything and I, I I absolutely just didn't like it. But whenever, yeah, like I said, whenever I think of Thor, it's this movie and and obviously Avengers and everything. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Well, and, and that's really what I, I love that, that, that we have a different opinion. So what is it about this Thor movie that you like and really stands out to you, especially, and it makes you, it makes it the one that you think of beyond the original Thor, and actually makes it a, a Thor movie that you enjoyed watching. It, it's it's because of the beginning uh, of how it starts. It's it's it feels grand. I mean, when when you uh, as he's as he's telling the story about uh, you know the story of the ether and everything and the war with the dark elves, and I think that's mainly the reason why. Because I mean, yes, I am a very big um, Lord of the Rings fan. But only like the last one and the first one <laughs> are the only two I really like. Um, but like, um, yeah, I, I, the main reason why I like it is because it's it's it feels bigger than what it's. A, it feels like it's a bigger world, and he, they're trying to explain. Obviously, you can't explain the whole entire thing because that would just be one hell of a that would be one long one long movie. But like, I mean, especially when they when they come up with like, I mean, obviously we we know that they're uh, they're they, they're Norse gods. And a lot of those traditions that you see with Vikings, I mean, granted, they don't talk Old English or, or Scandinavian or whatever whatever dialogue. Well, I mean, if they talked like Beowulf, I think a lot of people would be turned off by this movie. But. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, it's, and, I th- and I just love that we're learning about their culture and, and it, it's just, it's, there's just so much. And I, I think 
watching it for uh, again. I haven't watched it in, in a while because I'm watching all kinds of other movies. But like watching it again today, it was it was it, I just felt immersed into the world. And you know, there are some movies where I just skip through the parts that I find very boring. This one, I don't even want to do that at all because it's that entertaining to me. Yeah, I, I definitely think this is, uh, and, and right from the beginning, you're absolutely right, this movie is definitely going for epic in a way that the first movie doesn't. You know, they they specifically start this story, and it feels like the prologue of Lord of the Rings. You're talking about the Dark Elves and the Aether and the Asgardian defense of the universe, and... I mean, it is. It's it's a it's a it's a great beginning. It it does suck you in to the storyline and give you this feel like, okay, we're going to go on a epic adventure with Thor, and we're really going to grab hold of the mythology of Thor and the mythology aspect of the character of Thor and Asgard, and really use that to tell its story. Uh, I guess uh, my question is, Daniel, do you feel like that that epicness that we have in that first three minutes transcends to the rest of the movie? Uh, no, I don't. Um, like you were talking earlier about it kind of feeling routine. and t- uh, Routine isn't the right word, I don't think. I'm thinking more of uh, I don't. I don't. I don't even know what the right word is. It's, it's like maybe rote or yeah, um, middle blase. Yeah, a medi- mediocre. Bland. I don't, know. I don't. Bland is probably the closest word. It's it, because it's it's bland to me in a lot of ways. It's bland in uh, visually very bland. It's so dark. This movie is way too dark all the time. And I get it. Like it's kind of the central conflict of the it's film. the dark, dark world. world. Is the, and, I mean, and we're lucky name. we can see it all. It's the dark world. I get it. Story but and the movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I get it. I get it. And it's fine to use darkness and light and all that in different ways. Darkness. <laughs> it's just, man, this movie is half of the time. is just too much for me. I couldn't, there was the one scene in the beginning when Thor is supposed to be celebrating and he's moping over Jane Foster, which I don't know why anybody would mope over her. Um, and he's talking to Sif. And like all I could see were their two floating heads. Like that's it. Like there was some stuff. I don't know. It, and then when they're on the planet, it's just too much. So that kind of that entire thing, the, the whole visuals of it just kind of informs the way I also think of this movie. It's just like, uh, OK, there's some stuff I've, I've got to get through it here. It's I don't think it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. And I, you, when I first saw it, I think I thought it was better than Thor 1. Now, in hindsight, I think I'd have to rewatch Thor 1 because I feel like I kind of had more fun in Thor 1. But, um, yeah, no, this isn't... So it doesn't... So with that opening sequence is interesting, uh, but I don't think that the rest of the movie kind of lives up to, to what that's kind of promising. The movie has this whole you know it's a movie about saving the entire galaxy from this peril and you you set that up in the beginning and I, I think it's a good setup i think it's a really interesting setup it's a fun setup and it is as we said it's epic it has an epic feel to it i think what happens after that everything just kind of gets muddy visually and uh, I think you're absolutely right, Daniel. There's not a lot to visually stimulate you in this movie in the sense of good cinematography or good lighting. 
you know, I, I do feel like that sometimes they just, it's too, it's not dark as in like gritty and dark. It's just too dark. It, the, the scene's not well lit enough to give you, a, yeah, that feeling. And I think that's a good call out that scene with Sif specifically. But muddy and then the storytelling of how all the parts fit together like with what's happening on Earth with Jane and Dr. Selvig and all of these things, it never feels all connected. It just kind of feels like various things thrown at the screen because nothing is ever truly explained to you as an audience member. You really have to kind of put the pieces together for yourself. And that that's... and and. They kind of will show you something like the, you know, gravitational thing on the Earth, right? And how that's connected to the convergence of the planets all aligning on Isidrol and all that kind of stuff. But this, it needs more explanation. One, because a lot of people are not familiar with Norse mythology and understand all that in the first place. But two, kind of understanding the true stakes of what's happening and how all the pieces fit together, I think is very important, especially when you get to the end and that epicness kind of just went away because I don't really understand what's going on here. It's just a lot of CGI and a, a lot of like, you know, them falling through different realms, you know, uh, and uh, Thor will win in the end because that's what happens, you know, but... I wasn't invested because I wasn't given a reason to be invested. And part of that, I think, is that the overwhelming scope of what's happening hasn't fully been explained. And then it's so big that it's too big to care. You know, um, a lot of what it's the same thing that happened to Green Lantern, the, the movie. Like the scope is so big to care, like you just don't care in the end. And, and and the villain's just not that interesting, and and so I, I think there's a there's a sense to me where the that grandness and that epicness it felt like a personal battle between the Asgardians and the Dark Elves who were locked in this battle, and the Asgardians were saving the universe, but the uh, the rest of the universe didn't know about it, right? And I feel like if it had stayed at that where it was still that battle, it would have helped. But adding all these other realms and, and earth and everything like that, it just, it gets, the waters are muddy. And I, it, I, I lose my will to care when I don't have a reason to care because the movie isn't giving me one. And that's, that's frustrating. And part of that, I kind of think is, the characters in this movie, like, we really devote so little time to our title character. I was I was really struck by that in this rewatch. I haven't seen this movie since it first came out in theaters. But I was struck by just how little time it feels like Thor's on the screen and how little they delve into his motivations. Like, Feige had said that this was going to be a movie that would primarily be a journey for the character of Thor of he and Jane Foster and how the new dynamic with him and his father is working out, as well as the broader stakes, he said, for the Nine Realms. I don't feel like I spent enough time with Thor in this movie at all to, like... I I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Especially you, Richard. I know you like this movie, so what did you think about the way that they deal with the character, especially as 
you know, compared to the last time, what you didn't like, and what do you think? You know, uh, when we talked about it off mic about uh, uh, talking about why London was so, was so important, yeah, it, it kind of struck me that way. I was like, all right, yeah, I guess I could see that hole. But, <laughs> but like, uh, I mean, to me, we understand that, you know, obviously in the first movie, he's very arrogant and he thinks he's above everything. And um, in order to teach him humility, we need to, ha- uh, it, you know, he uh, he needs to be basically brought down to, you know, square one and, you know, re- relearn all that. So in this movie, what I find it is that I don't, I think there was enough screen time to be quite honest, because we know that, you know, um, he needs to come back to um, Asgard in order to become the next king. Um, and... In order, in in order for him, and, and I think what 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 happened was is that he found something that he really, I guess, liked, and he got lost, sort of thing, um, with uh, with Jane Foster, and um, that he wasn't sure what exactly, and I think that was it was brilliantly done, only because, I mean, and it it didn't like complete, it didn't like you didn't like overtouch it, uh, overtouch the story, because. I would assume that most people have already experienced loss, and it's always—I mean, I'm sorry—it's always experienced like how to be, when when to be lost and when to find yourself. But like, I mean, in this story, it's—I it, think it's done be- uh, beautifully that you know he's thinking about it. He's—you know—we don't need to overly—we don't need to go de- uh, dive deep into the story because you know, like I said, we don't—we don't. We don't <laughs> I would hope that most people know about that, but like. um yeah, I think it was. I, I, I mean, yeah, I really thought it was. It was enough a uh, screen time. I mean, I love the humor of this movie. Uh, I love that, you know, um, all the camaraderie that he has within his friends, and it shows because um, obviously they're re- willing to risk everything, um, even death, uh, to help him out in order to. In in you know, and when I, while I was rewatching this movie. It was like you know one uh, one great characteristic of a great king is uh, is always um, willing to uh, do what it takes in order to I guess save your kingdom or or you know do what you think is right. I mean because we're at what is his name? What's the father's name? Odin. <laughs> Thank Odin. You. <laughs> the All Father. Yeah. You forgot the All Father. <laughs> I just I, I just spaced it. <laughs> I, I was thinking of the actor and I was like, no, that's not his name. <laughs> but like um yeah, I mean, obviously we're, we're seeing that Odin is uh, you know, he's showing that arrogance like Thor did in Thor 1. And he's like, well, we're we're Asgard. We can destroy everything. It's like a, it's like Rome all over again where no one can touch us and uh, no one can beat us. I mean, we've obviously proven that because we've been we've been the leaders of uh, the galaxy or realms or whatever for the last five thousand years or what or however many years. And I think that's great because it sets up that um, Thor will. Well, I would hope so. Well, I guess we'll find out in the next movie that he'll be a humble king, and a, and not be an arrogant if, king. If he is king, well, we'll find out next sounds, next movie. Sounds like he won't be, but. <laughs> I think they cut out that musical number. I just don't want to be king. Ugh, it was it was a whole it was really good. I don't know why. I Chris Hemsworth's a great dancer too. I bet he is. That scene bothers me for two <laughs> reasons. Because the ending scene where he's talking to Odin, saying 
Okay, so, you know, like you mentioned, in the first film, we get the arrogance fall from grace kind of, you know, you got to hit rock bottom in order to learn your place. And it, it's, it works well in that film, just fine. There, to me, I don't see a difference in Thor from the start of this movie to the end of this movie. So I don't know when he learned this lesson or when he decided that he didn't no longer want to be king. I don't remember that ever happening. And it was like th that scene comes out of nowhere. And I'm like, uh, OK, now he, I guess now he just because he spent the last day with Jane, he just wants to go be with Jane, which spoilers, obviously, that's not going to end up happening. But um, and, and the other reason it bothered me was because there was this emotional you know, emotional through line that, OK, so I guess he learned this lesson mysteriously. I'm not sure how, but he learned this lesson. And now he's kind of having this heart to heart with Odin. And, you know, Odin's like, oh, you know, I can't say that I'm proud of you, but I am. And which I thought was really heartwarming. But then two seconds later, they give us the reveal that Odin isn't Odin, meaning that moment is completely false anyways. And I'm like, why did we even have this scene? I don't know what, what like, I mean, I guess narratively you have to have some sort of closure and you have to show that Loki is now on the throne. But to me, it was just frustrating because I'm like, I don't know where this came from. And then now it didn't even matter. So, so what? Now what? I don't know. Well, and I think I think you're absolutely right. The thing that frustrated me about this movie, Richard, you and I were talking about this before we, uh, you know, ordered our drinks here. Is, <laughs> and you might need a lot of drinks with this movie. Um, if the narratively for Thor, there isn't that theme until the very end. The only theme for Thor is being mopey about Jane, and Jane vice versa being mopey about him. Like everybody's mopey in this movie about like teenage problems basically well i just want to be with my girlfriend i just want to be with my boyfriend i just want to be with thor and he wants to be with jane i mean it's like real bad high school drama type stuff here right and and it's frustrating because that that theme like you're talking about could have been such a great theme of Thor, now that he is in a place where he's learned the lesson of not being the arrogant jerk, right? Learning the lesson of realizing that he's not fit to be king. He's meant to be just Asgard's protector, right? But that that theme, not in the movie at all until he tells you it is at the very end. And I think that's, for me, the frustration, because if that had been an arc for Thor to go through through this movie, it would have been really fascinating. But they don't put it in there, and they mask it with him just kind of being mopey about, you know, the girl he left on Earth. And it, it's like, well, you got to give me more than that to make me, like, really care. And that's the frustrating part, is because he's overshadowed again in his own movie by the character that we all love, which is Loki, who is dynamic in all ways, shapes, and forms in every sense of the word for a character who's really going through the this this interesting arc and, and coming out the other side fascinating still. You know, like, every time Loki's on screen, it's magic in this movie. It just, it's great stuff. And it's, it, and, and it doesn't help, especially when he's just walking next to Thor, and he's the best part about the whole movie. I mean, like, he has the best scenes in the whole movie. So in a movie called Thor, it should be called Loki instead. And we should just do stories about him because he's really the interesting thing. And he just steals the show. And it's, I don't know, it's just really frustrating because I love the stuff with Loki. 
the rest of it, it when it, he's not on screen, the movie just kind of falls flat because nobody has any dynamicism as a character. Everybody has these rote and, and like mundane like story plots. He doesn't, though. He's, which it's kind of sad. Like, write something that interesting for Thor. Well, his head is a, a bag of cats, so you can't really get that interesting. But, uh, no, I totally agree with you. I, I don't know what why we did this. Why, you know, what, I mean, I get why we did this in the, set, the larger Marvel Universe sense. Obviously, some pretty significant events happen, and some power changes go take place. But, um, you know, we've had Infinity Stone and X stories plenty of times here, and I'll, most of the time they're a little bit better than this. I don't know. It just feels like the, the villain just shows up and then, you know, at the end it goes away. And this bad, evil, glowy bit comes in and it's scary for a minute, but then it goes away. And like you mentioned, Matthew, I, I love all the, the Loki stuff. I actually really do like the interplay between Thor and Loki. Actually, the whole family. I really like uh, Odin and I cannot remember the queen's name, but her. Uh, Frigga. Yeah. And uh, the whole family, the whole fa- family dynamic and like, they're all they all have relationships with each other that are unique and interesting. I think that's good stuff, um, especially with the the queen and as guardian Loki. family matters. Is it basically could be what you're saying. <laughs> it could you be. If you know you were talking about scale being a problem for this film, and if it was more of a personal thing, maybe if it was uh, Odin who fought uh, Malekith back, you know, back in the day, and now it's like a personal attack on him and his family, and it, it, you could there are ways to play with the, this kind of story that would make it interesting. Uh, it's just that stuff, the good stuff that I think is the most interesting stuff of the film is not connected to the larger conflict at all. And so that's why I think we have this problem with scale. We have this problem with, all right, well, where is this growth coming from all of a sudden? Because we're just fluctuating between the little stuff and then the big stuff and there's nothing in between. You were supposed to read the book before the movie. No. <laughs> oh, was I? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's in there. Oh. It's in there. <laughs> okay. That makes that makes sense. No, I, I I agree with you. You know, the the family dynamic and stuff is is very interesting. But uh, yeah, I think that connects to what I was saying earlier. Is like after the epic beginning, and the opening prologue, everything just kind of gets muddy, and and how it all connects because it's just so over encompassing. But if this had been more a, a personal story for Asgard now having to deal with. Because we, you know, we have the fallout from Avengers and what Loki has done and all that stuff. So if this is a much more personal story about all of that kind of stuff, along with this other attack coming with the Dark Elves, maybe that works better than trying to like open it up to a galaxy encompassing, you know, thing. Um, and it could still be something where if that happens to Asgard, it'll also happen to the rest of the universe, but I don't necessarily know if we need to, like, have all this universe hopping, you know, to different realms and stuff, because, again, I think it just kind of gets muddy, and it's frustrating, too, because not only does the character of Thor suffer, I think, in this movie, I think Jane really suffers in this movie, too, and it's because she's not giving very much to do, and she just becomes the girl who's pining after the guy, and then a host for the ether to escape. She's the uh, she's the same thing as Thor. Thor's just pining for her. She's and neither of them has a very 
interesting or dynamic a story, you know. Um, and then she's able to help kind of save the world in the end, but I don't know why she's able to help save the world in the end because they don't explain it. So it it's just... It's those gravitational I, beacons or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, something, something. She's able um, to help save the world. Because she sets up the transport inhibitors. Yeah, and... exactly. Which is exactly what they look like, kind of, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's you... overshadowed by Darcy. There you go. Oh, of course. Like, well, that's because I mean she was the best supporting character of the first film as well. Yeah, so. she was. Um, she was. I, you know, you say Jane Foster suffers in this film. I, I, I don't think so, only because I dislike the character from the first film. So I don't. There's not like doing a disservice to this terribly, terribly boring character. But um, the ending was frustrating for me, too. I was confused because like all of a sudden now that they have the ability to do this thing that is really useful and convenient. But I guess maybe it's because you think better with no pants on, I guess. That's what the movie taught me. So. Uh, yeah. Well, excuse me, guys. <laughs> Is everybody wearing pants? I just want to check. No, 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 no. Because no, no. Ruby really don't like that. <laughs> no, I, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, I don't. It, Jane was better in the first movie, but here I just think that they they underwrite her even more so, and it's understandable why Natalie Portman would not want to come back to do any more Marvel movies because her character is just not been served well and they haven't really given her much to do you know uh you the one kind of bright spot is she goes to asgard and she's talking to uh it's actually played by alice kriega the the medic there and she's doing all this thing and they're talking about how it's a soul forge and she's like but does it do this 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 and this this and she's like yeah and she's like oh it's a quantum field generator you know like so she understands the theory behind even as guardian technology so there's this bright moment where you see how smart she is but then she's never really given anything else to do until the very end where she's helping figure out how to defeat malekith but i don't know why or how because i don't understand how all this gravitational stuff works and They've just thrown a bunch of stuff at me about convergence of planets, of the nine worlds, or the nine realms, and yada, yada, yada. They won the day. You know, it's like this whole movie is kind of yada, yada, yada. You know, it's also super, there's a lot of really narrative shortcuts that they take. And the first one is mm, when yeah. Jane gets the, she just randomly stumbles upon the, the ether. Yes. Just as you do. <laughs> just happens to stumble upon the one place in the world or in the universe that they hid the ether that was supposed to be so top secret. Just as you do, like no big deal. And then, which also happens to be the moment that Thor and Heimdall are talking about her and Heimdall happens to look down and not be able to see her. Uh, Then they happen to escape to the same part of the same planet where the cave goes back to the London. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of that in the movie where it's just like, okay, we're back on Earth. Just, okay, that was easy. And, uh, and, you know, it's like, and it's just like, why did Jane have to find it? Why couldn't it have been one of those kids? Like, I don't know. I just, I was frustrated with that. It just felt like really cheap, shortcut ways to do all of this stuff. But, I mean, I guess that it is what it is. I like the shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it, you know, one one of the things that I really hate about uh, movies in uh, like fan in some fandom uh, genres that you know they go through all the techno babble and and you know kind of like Star Trek. That's kind of what you know turns off people to Star Trek sometimes is the techno babble. But like you know, I I think that uh, you know not explaining it as much 
to the average person who probably doesn't know. And instead of um, instead of like explaining to them in the movie and making the film longer and then possibly even making it boring them to death, um, it, they that they can go on their own and look it up. I mean, I, that's that's how I'm seeing it. I mean, because maybe that's the direction that the um, the previous director was was tw- was trying to go. And Disney was like, nope, mm-mm, mm-mm. let's let's make it simple. Kind of like goes in the shell, <laughs> but like uh, you know, make it simple for the uh, average moviegoer, and let's make it interesting and um, action packed, so to speak. I mean, because what those some of those some of those action scenes are pr- pretty much what sells the movie, um, and it's kind of what I like anyway. And I I, I mean it's. I I know the story. I don't need to rehash it into a movie that the people around me are not going to know. <laughs> That's how I'm seeing it. So, but what I think I think um what Daniel and I were talking about is is more is not that we just make it longer for longer sake, but that there be a better narrative connection between all the points that makes more sense and doesn't feel like you're cheating and you can do that without necessarily making things longer it things just need to be written better and i think that's probably what we're saying is that the writing for the connections needs to be more implicit and make more sense than just kind of like you it it almost feels like you're that they were in a writer's room and they're like, oh, how do we get him out? Well, we'll just put him next to the the place where the thing and they'll ha- have the phone answer and they'll find they can get back. You know, it'll be easy. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, like uh, it, it feels like a writer's room assembly, a paint by numbers kind of story where, yeah, it, it's the basest, easiest connections you can make. With, but it, I, I think the problem is, is that Daniel and I just, I guess, and I don't want to speak for you, but I, I feel like we're just not finding it narratively interesting. It 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 just seems kind of like, well, I've seen this in like 10,000 other movies. So the problem is, is, is not that it's awful. It's just that it's not standing apart. It, it's not, it's not doing a thing to which I'll always think, oh, that was that thing that Thor 2 did. And it was so good, you know, like, whereas a lot of the other Marvel movies you know, I think of the original Iron Man had its own things that it does really well, uh, mainly just kind of giving us a a very different type of hero than we had ever had. I mean, we just hadn't had that type of hero uh, in, in a long time. And, you know, Captain America very much set itself apart by the way that it told its story uh, in the past and everything, um, you know. The Incredible Hulk had had some hard times connecting with people, but I actually think that's a it's a better movie than than you know this and so I I think the thing is is that you and then of course uh, gosh we haven't talked about it on the show we will soon as Guardians two comes out but Guardians sets itself apart because it's just in a completely different part of the universe everything is zanier wackier awesome and weirder awesome yeah everything is awesome and that it sets its part itself apart in that way and i think um narratively for thor here he just doesn't get it that opportunity um i think it uh, this movie falls into the same trap that uh dr strange ends up falling into 
which is there's nothing a- a- in- intrinsically interesting or exciting that happens. It feels like you've kind of all- seen it all before. Really? Uh, you felt that about Doctor Strange? Oh, it, yeah. uh, Doctor Strange. <laughs> Doctor Strange. And that's why I said earlier until that Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange, I believe, is the other Marvel film that feels like the most paint by numbers because it's pretty much all the main story points from all the other superhero movies that they've done so far. Uh, origin stories. Oh, we're going to use this from Iron Man. We're going to use this from Iron Man. We're going to use this from Iron Man. We're going to use this from Thor. We're going to use this from Captain <laughs> America. And we we tie them all in a bow. And we we called it Doctor Strange, but it's it's yeah. So anyway, uh, you can go listen to that show. We don't, we're not gonna we not, we won't go through that again for you guys. But um, hey, we did learn that uh, Doctor Strange does have a an issue with Loki. So yes, hey, there's yes. your connection right there. There, there you go. Which yeah, okay. And the last thing for character wise, I just want to mention is it's not a it's not a big thing, but you know Thor's band of friends gets even less to do in this movie, which I was frustrated with. Um, we did have a change. Zachary Levi plays the character instead of Joshua Dallas uh, of Friendall, but I don't really notice the change because he's not in the movie that much. So, um, and then I felt really bad because you know the the other main strong female here is Sif. She's relegated to pining away for the hero. Again. Um, and then the coolest woman in the movie, Frigga, the mom who takes on Malekith by herself and has a great fight scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were talking about the family stuff. That was excellent. And then she ends up dying at his hands. And it, it's just... All that stuff was... That stuff was great. But there wasn't enough of that stuff. Because I, I, I kind of... was I was hoping for more of his, like, him and his friends, you know, like saving the universe and... Yeah, get a lot to do. Uh, Chris O'Dowd was also in this film. I just want to mention that because I love him. I love IT Crowd. So he not not a great. Uh, he's got five five minutes of screen time or so. But uh, yeah, I actually wish they didn't kill off the queen. I keep forgetting her name again. Uh, Frigga, because she's awesome and great, and I and almost serves no purpose. I mean, I guess everybody's angry at the end, but you kind of could have gotten around that. I think you could have knocked her out or put her in a coma or something like that, and it would have served the same purpose. It feels a little cheap that they just had to go for the easy kill there. Well, they wouldn't be able to show the Viking uh, death ritual. Yeah. Or a ceremony, or a funeral ceremony. There you go. That's probably a better way to say yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know if that would have been a huge loss either way, but I, I feel like her lo- her loss is actually a more significant you know, thing in the film. But yeah, mm. uh, i trying to think of any other characters that we really get. And uh, that's about it. Oh, Malekith. We could talk about Doctor Who inside of yeah. the Marvel Universe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, as I like to call him, a dark boar. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see what you did there. And uh, and it, it, you're absolutely right. Christopher Eccleston, the Doctor, the first Doctor in the reboot, um, fantastic to to have him here. Except for then you have Christopher Eccleston and you don't have him do anything. Yep. He like, he gets a, a lot of uh, elfish elvish language speaking scenes like that's I think a majority of his scenes and it's just like okay and he acts uh, opposite of that one dude uh, for ninety percent of his scenes and that's it like he has no connection to anybody he's not interested in talking to anybody he could take a punch yeah it seems it's I don't know it just seems like such a waste why it could have been literally anybody in that makeup. Yeah. And why are you gonna why are you gonna do that to poor Christopher Rockleston? Oh well. 
big boy buddy. <laughs> obviously, that's not, obviously that's a goal, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I I I did I didn't like him either. Well, I I mean I liked him. I mean it it was it, it was a great. I can't. No, he's not a great villain. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna say that. Yeah, I mean yeah, he could take punches and everything, but that's yeah. I I'll agree with you, Daniel. Yeah, it could literally be almost anyone uh, to do that as long as they can read the script and. I guess in the dialogue of elves. I don't know what that sounds like. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a class, at, at this point, it's the classic Marvel problem of bad villains, you know, that they're just not, and I don't mean bad as in, oh, they're bad people. They're just not very good villains. You know, there there have been very few. And, and the frustrating part, again, is Loki is the most interesting villain of the Marvel universe for the most part. Um, other than I think what we got in Captain America Winter Soldier with S.H.I.E.L.D., which was fascinating stuff, great stuff. And uh, I even thought, you know, in, in the original Iron Man, um, you have a pretty decent villain for the, I mean, it's not great, but it, it, you know, there's enough connections there to make it feel more personal and mean something and all that. But here, yeah, you're right, Daniel. There's just no connection for him. And it, again, like you said, you rewrite this. You have Odin being the one who had put him down in the first place, you know, and and made him have to escape with his life and be in hibernation for a millennia, if not more. That's fantastic. And then you have some sort of like personal stakes for him as a villain and everything. But I do, I feel very bad for him because they put him in heavy makeup and then he has absolutely nothing to do and then more than half the time he's a cgi version so it's not even him when the big cgi battles are happening and yeah i do i feel really bad for him so um you know i will say to one thing though just to give a little bit of praise here the um the action scenes aren't bad they're really good i liked the the whole gravity stuff at the end of the final battle i really liked basically how mjolnir became its own little character buzzing around trying to find thor all over the place uh, and we, we learned some interesting things about how it behaves. Like when it, uh, when he went through to some other planet, it just like left, it just like shot out of earth. Like, I gotta go find Thor. I thought that was really cool. Interesting. Um, and there's a couple of, a couple of battles where we get to see, again, we mentioned earlier in the show that Thor apparently has storm powers now, but that that's cool, I guess. Whatever. It's not a big deal. Uh, so there are a couple of action pieces that do work really well. We mentioned also the fight scene with the queen, which was really cool even though it was r- rather short, but it was still cool to see her be badass. And then like the trickery with the, with the holograms or whatever they're doing there. And it was good. It was good stuff. So couldn't agree more. <laughs> I mean, all the fight scenes in the beginning, uh, it, it, yeah, they're, they're awesome. They're absolutely fantastic. I mean, especially the grants, uh, the, the bat, the battles between the elves and the Asgard, Asgardians. Are, it's, it's very, um, yeah, it's very awesome. I love it. <laughs> But then again, I love uh, big scene battles, so yeah. <laughs> I, I I tend to like big scene battles myself. You know, I I um I'm a fan of uh you know the the Zod Superman fight at at the end of Man of Steel, and uh, you know I like that a lot. Um, and Daniel, we we've talked about that. I know you're not <laughs> a huge fan, but I I I like it because you know there's some serious stakes involved with the two characters. You know what they're fighting for. You know all of that. Um, as visually, I think that the fight is kind of cool between Malekith and Thor, but I'm not invested in it. 
So it, as visually fun as it is, kind of to see them keep falling through things, which was a convenient way for uh, them uh, to keep the destruction on Earth at a minimum because they can keep falling. You know, uh, that's a narrative, another awful narrative shortcut, I think. And it's fun, but I, I wasn't invested in the fight because I don't care about... There's no reason for me to care about Malakath whatsoever uh, as a villain. He's just a ma- mustache-twirling villain, so there's there's nothing exciting about him or a reason that I might have a twinge of like, oh, I hope he doesn't die, like, you know, or something, you know. Um, yeah, it I, it's, it's fun visually. It's not interesting in any other way, and I was disappointed by that because, um, you know, most of these superhero movies come down to a big monster mash fight, right? I just want there to be some sort of stakes that I would care about so that when it does turn into CGI wizardry, it's, wow, that's awesome, look how they did that, but also... I still feel invested enough to get me through the CGI wizardry. And that's a that's a tough thing to do in a movie these days. Um, and you need those stakes. You know, like, uh, I'm thinking of, like, say, Ro- the end of Rogue One. Like, more than half of that is CGI wizardry, right? They're just creating that in a computer in a lot of ways, especially the space battle. But I'm invested in everything that's happening, so I, I care about it. Um, and I, and it helps my brain to like care about the computer generated effects, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it just didn't as much in this one. That's frustrating. Um, the, the ending for me and this one is very interesting too, because we talked a little bit about this whole idea. It, it ends on that odd light that, uh, especially when we think of the other Marvel films that are going to happen with Ultron, you know, there's no Jane around. They give some excuse why she's not there. Uh, and, you know, Feige talks about how this is kind of the, intended to be the conclusion of the Loki trilogy, uh, which examined the relationship between Thor and Loki throughout Thor, the Avengers, and this film. But does it really? Does it? Especially since Loki is the one on the throne now, and Thor doesn't even know it. Like, I I feel like there's so much more to that story. I feel like... and I know it's probably not going to happen because the next movie is Ragnarok, and I don't think it has anything to do with this. But oh, it well, feels... You, you I mean, I don't... He'll I be mean, there. I don't know. He'll be I'm there. I'm sure he will. I but mean, it, it does feel like that the, the final confrontation should be coming. No, no way. They'll keep him around as long as they can, I think. You, you know, you were just mentioning that Loki is their best villain, and I think that's pretty widely regarded. Um... And he is super interesting. So, yeah, I think that they know they have a good thing with him and he's always kind of bringing it up whenever he's around. So and I think the reason they don't have him as the main villain in this film is because, well, we had him in Thor and we had him in uh, here in in the Avengers even. So, you know, at this point, you cannot have him three three movies in a row be the bad guy. I mean, I guess you could, but it's better to mix it up. And it's and I find it way more interesting that like he's doing this behind the scene thing now and like being deceptive and not like not what you just mentioned, Matt, the, the, the mustache twirling villain, not the guy he was in Avengers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, this is way more interesting and really exciting because it's really cool to see him be the trickster, right? Because that's what he's supposed to be. So, and I'm sure he'll show up in Ragnarok. Uh, 
but yeah, so yeah, you know, it is interesting because going forward, what does that mean? That where is Odin? I mean, I, I assume he didn't kill him. I'd probably put him to sleep again. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But there's a lot of unanswered questions, and we don't get anything for a good chunk of time. You know, it's been when did this movie come out? 2000? I don't even know. Thir- a long time ago. 13. It feels like yeah, something like that. So these are questions we've had for yeah, a good chunk. So have we really? Have we? I mean, would we say we have questions after this? Do, you don't think I, you're not curious where Loki's up to right now? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm curious what Loki's the, up to. Yeah, that's the next movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's what uh, I mean. If the next movie was just about Loki and his rule of Asgard, totally would <laughs> well, be into that. We don't know. It may be. It very well may be. I hope so. That Although would be awesome. Ragnarok does sound awesome, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I will say that. I, I'm I'm reserving my judgment. So until I at least see a trailer. Oh first, come on, man! We, we'll we told you there. what we thought. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I am. I'm. I'm. I'm trying to. I'm trying not to allow my the impact of the first two Thor movies, which I think everybody can understand that already at this point. I don't really like to affect my judgment. So I'll wait for this one to speak for itself. And the first time I get some, you know. Uh, pieces of that will be in a trailer and and i'll i'll try and judge it from that point on um because right now it the, the thor track record not so good for um yeah um i did want to ask you so we talked a little bit we were kind of talking beforehand uh before we even started recording if we were to do a a rewrite of this uh what are some ways that you feel like that because I want to be constructive, and I feel like we have been throughout as we've been talking, but I really want to be constructive here. How could Thor, The Dark World, have been a better film? And Daniel, you had come up with something, uh, I think, that I really liked, and uh, I think that's a great place to start. So what did you suggested? So yeah, the best part of this film takes place between, right after the Queen dies, and then, uh, and... Loki pretends to fake his own death there. And it's it's the Thor-Loki kind of buddy trip. You're still a prisoner and I'm still mad at you and I don't trust you and all this stuff. Like that stuff is the most interesting thing in this film. I think they could have just easily turned this film into that whole thing. For whatever reason, everybody else is incapacitated or unable to do. They have to do something by themselves and you really could get to the bottom of that relationship. You know, we get to see huge chunks of it. It's not like we don't get a lot of it, but it would be way more interesting to turn Loki the villain from the Avengers into Loki the sympathetic, which they kind of do here, but this sympathetic character of, okay, well, what is he about? What what does he mean? And, of course, you'd have the wonderful Tom Hiddleston and and the comedic genius, I think. I really do think that, uh, oh, God, what is his name? Uh, Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Really good at comedic timing together, and they're so good together. And like, again, they only have a couple scenes here, but it would work really, really well. And uh, you could avoid a lot of the bigger issues that the film has, I think. I like the idea of that because I think the smaller scale really helps the movie. You know, again, they could they could be trying to figure out how to take down Malekith in this, you know, universe ending, turning everything back into darkness deal happen, right? But Having those those more, uh, as we talked about earlier, making it a more personal stake between Malekith and, and Asgard. I mean, he already has reason to be as mad at, at Asgardians, right? Because mm-hmm. they're the ones who put him into cryosleep, basically, because he had to escape. And 
was in that for uh, until his ether detector went off um, and woke him up. You know, his, <laughs> his ether Jane, alarm. His Jane yeah. Foster alarm is really weird. Yeah, 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 nothing like it. Um, and so I, I think you, all that stuff uh, could lend to, uh, again, a much more personal movie. But as you said, I think, yeah, you, you kind of do the buddy cop film with Loki and Thor on the run trying to figure this out together and having to find a way to trust each other and all that kind of stuff which they kind of do a little bit here and that's the stuff that works the best because when they actually go to the dark world and him and Loki are working together it's really fun that's I think that scene where they're walking down the hallway and Loki is pretending to be other people was fantastic that's the best scene in the movie when he's Captain America uh, <laughs> for five minutes. And Chris uh, Chris uh, Evans is, you can tell, just must have had a blast doing that mm-hmm. like 30 second bit uh, about how he can feel the righteousness in his suit. Um, and then the, when they're at the Dark World and, you know, Loki is using his de- powers of deception and, and trickery to trick Malekith and all, all that stuff was really cool. Um, a whole movie kind of of that and really exploring that re- this relationship between these two would have been phenomenal. Uh, and I think that smaller scale and scope would have really helped the film. Um, and if we're going to try and do what Feige's talking about, kind of wrapping up this Loki trilogy, I think that's probably a better way to do it. Um, and so... Uh, and, and allowing them to, throughout their journey take them to different parts of the realm again that makes it more interesting you can involve the other parts of the nine realms and then you end up on earth on purpose because you need jane foster and dr selvig you know so you can put them into that and maybe even having the jane foster story with selvig and darcy be running parallel to what's happening with loki and that they meet, you know, at the convergence at the end, you know, so that I think all that helps. And that allows you to be able to tell the story with Thor not knowing if he wants to be king and be able to weave that in while he's traveling with Loki and and put all that together, allow them to have some conversations and stuff around all of that. I just, you you come up with, I think, a, a much better character-driven story. I think that's the problem I have with Thor and the Dark World. It's not character-driven. Everything is just kind of story-driven. It's put upon the characters. It doesn't really feel like it's... Ha- it doesn't feel like the characters necessarily have a ton of agency. They're just all reacting to what's happening around them instead of it being about them. Whereas, like you know, Captain America, it's about him. Iron Man, it's about him, you know, like, uh, so. But isn't that kind of what Thor is uh, in most of the story is, is about, it's about a bigger deal. I mean, he's, he's a part of something that's bigger that he needs to protect, like, like the nine realms. I mean, isn't that kind of, isn't that kind of what the story is? I mean, it's not necessarily, I mean, we're, we're talking about a God here that, I guess this shouldn't be going through something like this. I'd be worried if if a god was don't going through something like this. Um, <laughs> Such a mopey yeah. god. <laughs> but I mean, but in I mean, it, to what the way I see it, I mean that that's why I 
that's why I kind of like. That's why I don't like about uh, the th- the first Thor. It's 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 like a falling god in a sense, you know. I guess is is what you can call it. Um, and then coming back and actually doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is protecting his realm, and I guess beating off the enemies. Which I really think the villain in here is not really that great. I mean, I, I'm with you, Matt, and I'm sure with you, Daniel, as well, that the villains are not really that great in in the Marvel universe. Um, and mainly because the, what I think is that they're not reoccurring. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's ultimately what keeps the comic book going. They're so clever to come up with these plans to, you know, do whatever, uh, you know, whatever they're, whatever they're, what they're motivated to destroy whatever plan or whatever. Um, but they're not clever enough to escape like Loki is. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, I, I'm assuming that Ultron will, will, uh, will, probably escape through the internet or something like that i don't know but let's hope so yeah i hope so too (laughs) but like i mean it's just it just seems like okay they're dead and then that's it and then we don't hear about them anymore again i mean if i were to change this story that would be what i change what i would uh, love to change is the is basically the villain escaping somehow and then we'll see them in uh, infinity wars part one or two (laughs) yeah no i i can i can totally understand that and because again, the only villain who's really recurring is Loki, right? Yeah, and so, Ultron no, maybe, I, maybe. Yeah, no, that's that's a good, that's a really good point. So, um, yeah, let's rate this sucker. Um, you know, uh, out of out of uh, tankards of ale, uh, which I'm sure they drink a ton of, oh. uh, and we know for Thor, uh, I don't know what where do you go, what do you got as a human or as a uh, immortal god. Um, well, as an immortal god, so let's do out of a hundred. <laughs> oh, wow. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure he could put him away. I bet you, yeah. Well, hey, he did in uh, Doctor Strange, right? There you go. He just kept so. going. Um, I will, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll go first. <laughs> um, I will give it 73, and I'll probably be passed out by then. <laughs> <laughs> 73. Wow. Um, yeah, that would be a lot of, of hell. Um... <laughs> Wow. Yeah. If you could put away 73 <laughs> ales, <laughs> even not God-sized, wow. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'd give it a 60. 60 ales out of 100. I think this is 40 ales. So it's it's a low rating, but it's, it's, it's honestly, um, for my money, it's the worst Marvel movie. Hmm. It's, it's just, it's... Uh, you know, in my ranking, uh, yeah, it's it's the worst Marvel movie that they've done. It's just not very good. Uh, and for all the reasons that we've talked about. And, you know, it's to me, I think one of the frustrations with the whole Thor series so far is that he was the character that I thought that I would really like, be, you know, going into the first movie. And then, you know, hopefully the second movie would be better. Because I love Lord of the Rings. I love that kind of stuff. I love mythology. I love Egyptian mythology, Norse mythology, and uh, all the mythology. I really enjoy getting into that stuff. I thought, this is going to be so cool. And he just he hasn't lived up to any of that coolness for me. And that's that's been real frustrating. Um, and so hopefully, again, as we talked about, you know, I'll still see Thor Ragnarok and... I am hoping that it will be good. So, you know, I'm going in uh, trying to put out of my mind Thor 1, Thor 2, and just uh, take it on 
what Thor Ragnarok has to give me. So hopefully it will be a great experience. And, you know, I'm glad that we get a chance to talk about this. And I love that, you know, Richard, you, you have, you're coming from a different place than Daniel and I, and I, you know, it's been a great discussion, I think, talking about the movie and, I'd love to hear what people have to say about Matthew, this on the Babel before, Conference. Sorry, I, I know you're about to do your thing. I just wanted yes. to say the, the last thing that we should talk about real quick, especially since this is the end. We've mm-hmm. talked about the, and uh, we've talked about Guardians a little bit. You know, oh, yeah. The, the closing, collector. The, the yeah. closing little uh, thing there. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? A connection there. Yeah, you know, the you're right. The end credit sequence is um, them taking the ether to the collector that we'll see in Guardians of the Galaxy and giving him an Infinity Stone. Yes. Uh, even though it's not a stone, no. it's Liquid. ether. Uh, <laughs> and saying that they don't want two Infinity Stones in their vaults because they don't want it sitting next to the Tesseract uh, because that's dangerous. So, unless I guess you put him in a glove and then it channels all the power, I well, guess. Well, that's, I yeah. Mm-hmm. So, this is actually is interesting because I had forgotten... That essentially, um, it's revealed here that the collector is evil. I guess in a way, kind of. Finally, <laughs> you know, um, because in Guardians of the Galaxy, there's no indication of that that I recall. Yeah, it's kind of mm-hmm. weird that they give that away. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it was interesting to me because I had completely forgotten that was part of the scene. That's all I wanted to bring up. We didn't have to talk too much about it. But. No, no, you're absolutely right. So it and it is it is a uh, as all the end credit sequences are. Uh, it's it's always fun for them to kind of preview coming next because Guardians of the Galaxy is next. And it's actually what we're going to talk about next on the uh, 602 Club for Marvel uh, before Guardians 2 comes out. So we'll be excited to do that, dive into that, and um, love getting to talk all of this stuff with you. Whether I love the movie or not, a great discussion. And so thank you so much to our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. They have been supporting this show and the network for so long, and uh, that kind of loyalty, uh, you just you can't be bought. And I really thank these guys for, for them uh, taking out their hard-earned money to support Trek FM and making sure that all the shows that we have keep coming to you each and every week. Uh, it's a massive undertaking to do a network like this and to... to there's just absolutely no way we can do it by ourselves. And so uh, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can become part of the team like uh, Ken or Davis. And every little bit helps. Uh, it, it's not about the amount. It's just that every little bit from as many people as possible really makes sure that this happens. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. So Richard, Richard, uh, if anybody wants to talk a little more Thor or Marvel or anything else with you, where can they find you online? Well, they can uh, find me on Facebook. I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. They're a little trouble. And they can also hear me on Earl Grey, uh, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation with um, Amy Nelson and Lee Hutchinson. And yeah. (laughs) And Daniel, uh, if people want to catch up with you, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter where my my handle there is 1updan. That's the number one, not the word. Awesome. Awesome. And you can find me, of course, on Twitter, MattRushing02, on Instagram, at MRushing. If you're listening to this the week of April 10th, I will be at Star Wars Celebration. That is 2017. So look me up there. I hope to, to meet as many listeners as possible. You can find me posting all those things there on Twitter and, uh, and Instagram and those kind of places, too. So 
course, doing uh, The Orb here with Chris Jones on the network, uh, talking to Deep Space Nine, and of course, as we talked about at the beginning, Star Wars The 602 Club Collection. You can also find me on the Nerd Party Network doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills, talking about Star Wars. It's a blast. If you love Star Wars, this is the show for you. I mean, it's really just two guys sitting around talking about their favorite things in Star Wars, and so... I think that's fantastic, uh, and you'll love it. You also want to check out Owl Post, a Harry Potter podcast with Drea Kaufman, as we talk about every single chapter of Harry Potter. We're almost done with the first book now, so uh, it's 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 fun. It's been a blast so far, and I can't wait to dive in even more with her. And last but not least, that's it. That's all the places you can find me. There is no last but not least. And thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. Your incredible... Yes! We know each other. He's a friend from work. Oh, come on. Hey, hey, guys. Y- y- y'all didn't go anywhere, did you? Yeah, I'm, I'm here, Why? What's up? Nope. Mm-mm. Okay. My cot's in the corner. Okay, I just want to make sure that everybody is still here, because, um, you know, we, we we just finished recording the show, and they, they dropped a trailer on us. I didn't, did you see the, the news come out? The, the, the Thor trailer for Ragnarok that we were talking about before it came out is now out. The day before. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's like they heard us, and they were like, Matt Rushing needs to see this because <laughs> he needs to be excited about Thor Ragnarok. He needs to be excited like I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes! <laughs> yes! Friends from podcasting, we're back. Um, well, we wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, it, fortuitously this came out at the right times so that we could get together and talk about the Thor Ragnarok trailer that's just come out. And so, guys, first impressions, jump in, say whatever you want. This is This is a free-for-all. You got your Guardians of the Galaxy in my Thor. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because Richard and I, before you jumped on, we're just saying that. It's got that '80s feel. I I absolutely love it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, no, it's 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 like they just they took Thor and just put a inge- like injected a syringe of fun and excitement and energy into it. So I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, well, that and they injected uh, the Hulk. Yes, yes, uh, which helps. And <laughs> yes, so uh, and Loki, mm-hmm. and uh, my personal all-time favorite, Kate Blanchett, which you can inject her into anything, and I think it'll be better. So, uh, which is before this trailer came out, was the first thing that w- kind of intrigued me about the film because I'm a huge fan of hers, and I've seen a majority of her films. I really like her work. So the fact that she was going to do something like this was was really cool. And after seeing the trailer, I got to say, she pretty much steals the show. I mean, she's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. She destroys yeah. Milmar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Meow Meow is gone. Meow Meow. <laughs> and that's in the first, you know, 10 seconds of the... I mean, that's the first 10 seconds of the teaser trailer that Mule... It's like, they're not even fooling around. They're like, this isn't even a big deal in this movie. It just happens and you just have to deal with it. <laughs> Which... I mean, I I have to say it's just a huge thing. I mean, because it makes me, okay, uh, 
The thing that they have kind of done in the series for the movies is make Thor seem pretty connected to his hammer in the sense that without the hammer, he what powers does he have? Like, I know he's strong, right? But, like, does does he have the power to control the weather anymore? I guess not without Meow Meow. Uh, I mean, I just... And so uh, that's what I'm really interested in because, like, he's going up against, you know, Hulk in this trailer, and I'm like... But he's just Thor now. He doesn't have the hammer. Like I, I don't. They've never really done a good job of explaining what his powers are. So I don't know why he should be able to take on. I mean, I, and I'm sure comic book geeks are just yelling at their iPods right now or their iPhones or whatever they're listening to because they're talking about, oh well, the comics. I don't. I I haven't read Thor comics, so I don't know. I'm just going by what they've told me in the film. So, well, if you remember too, uh, in for a good portion of the helicarrier fight between Thor and Hulk in Avengers, he didn't have, I mean, he, he used it, it was used, but there were times, there were moments that Thor was literally just fist to fist with Hulk. And so that's kind of where I'm coming with it. It's like, yeah, Mjolnir is super awesome and effective to use, but he can take a punch from Hulk, no problem. And he can even punch Hulk without, without any problems. Like, I don't think he could beat Hulk, but he certainly would be able to fight him. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, I guess we will. I guess we will. <laughs> well, and as we uh, speculated uh, last night as we were recording, um, he's back. Loki is back. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see if he's the one that has something to do with Thor getting captured and has something to do with Kate Blanchett's character. I don't even know her name. I haven't looked any of this up. I just watched the trailer, and they didn't tell me that. So... I, I I do have to say that I am more excited now than I was before, which I wasn't excited at all. So it, the trailer did its job. I mean, it looks very fun, and my only hope is that they don't allow Thor to be overshadowed again. And there's a little bit of a worry when you have the Hulk, who's good at overshadowing people. We already know Loki will overshadow Thor in a movie. Uh, and, you know, when you have a character, it looks like as dynamic as Cate Blanchett. Um, I, you know, it, just let him really be the main focus of this movie. And um, and it looks like that might be the case because it looks like he might be on kind of like a, I don't know, like a, a journey. You know, like he's captured, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of thrown into the seventh ring of hell, it looks like, basically. Gladiator style. Uh, all, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh-oh. Could be really, really cool, and so I, I, I really, I'm crossing my fingers that it's gonna be awesome. Uh, and apparently, every comic book movie these days, no matter what it is, has to use an old rock song. But perfect yeah. use <laughs> of Led Zeppelin's "Immigrant Song." I mean, the the whale and everything as Kate Blanchett is just destroying Asgard is phenomenal. So, yeah. Um, I guess, uh, hey, let's, let's do the new Netflix rating. Thumbs up or thumbs down for the new trailer. <laughs> you mean the one that got everyone in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> Dang you alt-right people for ruining. And I'm just, I'm just kidding. You had nothing to do with it. It was all Amy Schumer's fault. Just read Kessel Junkies. <sighs> um, anyway, so thumbs up or thumbs down. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to give it, uh, two Jeff Goldblum thumbs up because he's in it and that is amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, 
What about you? I'm definitely going to go with two thumbs up, but I'm just going to use my regular thumbs. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to trump you both. I'm going to go with two Kate Blanchett thumbs up. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, uh, actually, are you wearing that me, awesome gonna... head thing? That <laughs> yes, you I am wearing the horn. What is that? Like That's branches right. or something uh, yeah. like that? I don't care. It's, <laughs> it's cool. It's just... Okay. And this is what looks, I think, makes this look cool. Is kind of embracing the completely otherworldliness of mm. and I think that's great yep. so yeah um, well so glad we got a chance to, to catch up and I hope everybody will enjoy the trailer enjoy our show on Thor and uh, look forward to us talking about it uh, later on this year so thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you're here and we really mean it this time 